This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 21, The First Really Hard Goodbyes. At one point when my girls were in elementary school, we had three deaths in our immediate family in 48 hours. Three or four, I can't remember. Squishy, squirmy, stripy, and um, another one were found one at a time, white-eyed and motionless in our new aquarium. They were tiger barbs, then they were not. Yes, yes, we took all appropriate steps in setting the thing up. I've had many aquaria in my life, enough to know exactly why these fish died. They died because fish are dying machines, especially in new tanks. I tried to prepare the kids for this before we even walked out of the door of Cheap Flushable Pets Warehouse. I want you to know something, I said. Aquarium fish have a habit of dying, often, and for no apparent reason. I just want you to be ready for that. But they were too busy cooing new names to the little terminal creatures through the walls of their plastic bag ICUs to hear Daddy Cassandra moaning about the future. You'll be my squishy-wishy, Erin cooed to her bag. And you're stripey. Now, the future arrived the next morning when I switched on the aquarium light and found Squishy stuck to the filter intake. I heard the girl's feet on the stairs. I panicked, grabbed the net, scooped up the sushi, and darted into the bathroom. And I knew immediately that I should not have done that. I came out as casually as I could, Morning, girls. Aaron looked at me suspiciously. Why do you have that? I looked down at the dripping net in my hand. Oh, this? And I quickly realized that all possible cover stories for emerging from a bathroom with a dripping net are worse than the truth. Sweetie, I'm sorry, but one of your fish died during the night. Which one? She walked to the tank calmly and peered in. Oh, Squishy is gone. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Yeah, she said, it's okay. I still have four. It was a five for five dollars deal on Tiger Barbs. By the time she returned from school that day, another fish had swum the tunnel of light, another one of her tigers, and by dinner time, a third. What the heck, she said. She was mostly angry that the fish reaper was swinging his scythe so selectively at her fish. Laney and Connor's fish, all non-tigers, were still happily playing who's behind the bamboo. Can I touch it, she said, staring at the sad little thing. Sure you can. Now my kids' ease with this kind of thing just amazes me. Dead things have always called up a deep, 
terror in me. Birds, squirrels, many dogs, a drowned sheep in Scotland, and people. I've always been shaken at reminders that a thin line exists between life and death. That you are here, and then, often without warning, you are nowhere. Once I was behind a man boarding a train in Vienna when he suddenly punched his ticket. And I don't mean the train ticket. Moments before that, he probably had very much the same plans as mine. And instead, he canceled every remaining appointment that he had by crumpling to the platform, dead. I scooped up Stripey and held the net out toward Aaron. My nine-year-old self would have... Well, he wouldn't have asked to touch it in the first place. But if somehow he had, nine-year-old Dale would have poked it with one fingertip and then fled to the bathroom to scrub that fingertip raw to get the death off. I hate dead things. What I really hate, I think, is the reminder that one day I'm going to end up stuck to the filter myself. But Aaron didn't poke it and run. Oh, stripey, she said as she picked it up with two fingers and laid it in her other palm. She stroked its side. He's so soft. Laney joined her. And then Aaron walked to the bathroom, said goodbye, and flushed. Amazing. That night we were reading at bedtime. We were on a Dr. Seuss streak. We'd been reading The Lorax and Horton Hears a Who and The Grinch. Everything but the cat in the hat. I just don't like the cat in the hat. I think it's the chaos of thing one and thing two. Even when I was nine years old, it made me anxious. I identified with the fish in the bowl. He should not be here when your mother is out. So, no cat in the hat. But that night we were in the middle of, oh, the places you'll go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there, in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsy as you. Is he still alive? It was Aaron. Is who still alive, I asked. Dr. Seuss. Oh, no, he, he died about 15 years ago, I think, but he had a good long life first. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening, too. I suddenly became aware that Delaney, who was six, was very quietly sobbing. Oh, sweetie, what's the matter? Is anybody taking his place? She asked. Oh, what do you mean, Pumpkin? Is anybody taking Dr. Seuss's place to write his books? She started a deep cry. Because I love them so much, I don't want him to be all done. I hugged her. 
and said I understood. And then I scanned the list of Seuss books on the back cover. Hey, I said, you know what? We haven't even read half of his books yet. That's feeble, I know. And so did she. But we will read them all, she said, and then there won't be any more. I had only moved the target, which didn't solve the problem. Now, in addition to paleontologist and archaeologist, Laney in kindergarten wanted to be a writer. So I seized on this, telling her that she could be the next Dr. Seuss. She really liked that idea, and we finished the book. The next day, she was at work on a story called What Do I Sound Like? about a girl who didn't know her own voice because she had never spoken. My instinct, whenever one of my kids cries, especially that deep, sincere, wounded cry, is to get them happy again. When they were really young, all I had to do was put something silly on my head. It's harder once they're older, and instead of a skinned knee, they're crushed by the mortality of the people they love. But is getting them happy again really the right goal? I'm often asked how I help my kids accept death without the afterlife. Accept it? Hell, I don't accept it. People who accept death tend to fly planes into buildings. I'm not even sure I should blunt the sadness too much, but I try anyway. Death is immensely sad even as it makes life more precious. It's supposed to be. So I shouldn't be too quick to put something on my head or dream up a consolation every time my kids encounter the sadness of mortality. Sometimes it's good to let them think about what it means that Dr. Seuss is all done and to cry that deep, sincere, heartbreaking cry. Daddy, something's wrong with Max. It was about a year later, and Aaron's face was a mask of anguish. He's making sounds I've never heard before, and he's laying wrong. Aaron's guinea pig Max, the first pet that was really all her own, was clearly not okay. The vet confirmed an upper respiratory infection the next morning, dispensing a little medicine, but not much hope. Guinea pigs are prey items, he said introducing me to a colorful new term that I was really glad Aaron didn't hear. They don't handle stress well, but sometimes the medicine works. He'll either get better quickly, or he won't. Aaron held him all evening, cooing and stroking and sobbing. And in the morning, he was gone. When Aaron's heart breaks, it takes every other heart in the room with it. And her heart was as broken then as I'd ever seen it. I know when her sadness crosses into heartbrokenness because the inside ends of her eyebrows turn upward like little tildes. It kills me. I'm okay with the spectrum of emotion. I can weather her sadness. But when those eyebrow tips head north, it's more than I can take. 
still, I knew that the loss of Max, as eyebrow-creasingly painful as it was, was an important experience for her. Pets can contribute, however unwillingly, to our lifelong education and mortality. We don't buy pets in order for kids to experience death. But most every pet, except a giant land tortoise, will predecease its owner. The deaths of my own various guinea pigs, dogs, fish, and rabbits were my first introductions to irretrievable loss. At each of their passings, I learned two things that Aaron learned with Max, how to grieve and just how deeply we can love. They definitely helped prepare me for the sudden loss of my dad when I was 13. It didn't make the loss itself any easier or shorten my grief, but the grief didn't blindside me in quite the way it would have if his death had been my first experience of profound loss. When we looked into the cage the next morning and saw that Max was not moving, Erin screamed, and then she did the precise opposite of what I would have done. She flung open the cage, grabbed him, hugged him to her, and wailed. I've just never had that kind of equanimity with the dead. I recoil from lifelessness. When Opie, my own dog of 13 years, died a good 20 years ago now, I nearly paid someone $300 to remove his body from our yard. And when, for lack of $300 and no other reason, I did it myself, it took all of my personal steel. Ever since I looked at my dead father, I just can't bear the recognition of what's no longer there. I just can't bear it. Erin hugged Max's little body to her for an hour and keened. She stroked his fur and touched his teeth and gently rolled his tiny paws between her fingers, all the time whispering, Maxie, Maxie, please wake up. And then came that familiar monologue, that ancient litany of regret and guilt and helplessness. I wish I had given him a funner life, she said. He didn't have enough fun. Do you think he knew I loved him? I should have played with him more. I wanted to watch him grow up. Do you think I did something wrong? I must have done something wrong. I want to hear his little noises again. It isn't fair at all. It isn't fair. Things should be fair. Even our dog, Gowser, who always had a special fascination with Max, spent hours staring into the cage, and then pacing, and then staring again, whimpering quietly with confusion. We buried Max in the backyard. Aaron put him in a shoebox on a layer of soft bedding. She put his water bottle to his lips once, twice, three times, convulsing with tears. She added food pellets near his head, like an ancient Egyptian preparing the pharaoh for a journey to the next life. Flower petals, and then Max's favorite toy. And at last, this one nearly did me in, she carefully dried her tears and placed the tissue in with him.
We talked over the grave about what a lucky guy he'd been to be born at all, that a trillion other guinea pigs never got the chance to exist, to be loved and cuddled like he was. She liked that. The next day we sat together on a bench where Max was buried and talked about him. She said she felt like it would never stop hurting and then asked if we could do the same thing the next day. And then it was three days later and then a week. And after a while, she stopped asking. It was a good process. A year later, almost to the day, Delaney got a guinea pig of her own. Erin asked to go with us to the pet store to help her pick out the toys and the food and the bedding. She led Laney up and down the aisles. Max really liked Timothy Hay, she said. You'll want to get some of that. Ooh, and look, that's the little wooden thing he liked to chew on. As we stood in line at the register, Erin looked up at me. I'm kind of surprised that I'm so okay with all this, she said. I mean, I still miss him a lot, but it's not so, you know. She pressed a palm to her chest and closed her eyes, and then looked up again. You know? I knew. I reminded her what she said after Max died. You thought it would never stop hurting, remember? And she nodded. But it did, she said. Time is amazing. And there it is. In addition to learning how much she could love and how much she could grieve, she learned that no matter how much a loss hurts, it will eventually hurt less. So next time, and there was a next time, and there will be more, she'd have a comfort that she didn't have before. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.